Living with Cancer is a non-profit organization that was created initially for the purpose of serving as a support group, with the primary aim of connecting individuals who have been diagnosed with cancer. The aim was to provide a platform for these individuals to share their experiences, ask each other questions and give them an opportunity to engage with individuals experiencing the same challenges that they may be dealing with. The support group is open to all individuals at different stages of their cancer journey as well as different types of cancer. The support group seeks to create a network to connect the cancer community with each other. Good Good morning and thank you for joining the podcast series Living with Cancer. Today we have Monica Singer who's a cancer warrior and he's going to share her personal story with us. Morning Monica. Morning, Belinda. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity because I really feel very strongly that what happened to me could have been prevented. And by sharing the story with other humans, um, hopefully we can prevent what happened because it really was lack of education and communication from the medical um, system that failed me. And, And I really think that people should be aware of what happened so that we can prevent other women from having to go through what I'm going through. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Well, I'm looking forward to listening to, to your story and, and, and what's happened on your journey. So maybe you could just start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and your cancer journey. When were you diagnosed? What type of cancer you've got? And maybe just go through a little bit about who you are as a person first. Okay. So I'm a 62-year-old um, mother of three kids and a very busy uh, businesswoman. Um, and um, to tell you the truth, my whole life has been very stressful. So, so yes, uh, that I would say that one of the reasons I think that I've got this cancer is because of the crazy life that I had trying to raise a family and, and you know, and build a business. And, you know, I've been always under a huge amount of stress. So um, I am BRCA positive. So that's the other thing that I didn't know about BRCA, which is this gene test that says that if you have BRCA positive, you have an 80% chance of getting breast or um, ovarian cancer, which I didn't know, which was very sad because my mom had breast cancer and no doctor ever told me, go and have a, a gene test done. Because if I had done the test, I would have taken my breast and my ovaries out to prevent this from happening. But nobody mm-hmm. ever mentioned this. And um, thanks God that I was able to then shared my story with my family members. So my cousin and my nieces uh, that are also BRCA positive are now, um, my my cousin's 60 year old, she had everything removed. My nieces are now, because they're very young, they have now started the whole, um, uh, you know, complete different uh, life. Now they have mammograms, they have have a test done, even though they're very young. And funny enough, one of them had a, a tumor that she didn't know but because now, because of what happened to me, she had the mammogram and they had to take the tumor out and she's only 32. And then uh, uh, my daughter, thanks God, she's BRCA negative. But what I'm saying is that anybody with a, a little bit of history of any type of this type of cancers, they should have a gene test done. They're not expensive. And um, with an 80% chance of having breast cancer, you should really have and consider taking your breast um, and your ovaries out, which I wasn't given the chance uh, by any of my doctors because I didn't know about this. Um, the other thing that happened to me is that 10 years ago, I had brain tumors. Um, I survived that. I had operations. But thanks God, those brain tumors were not cancer. 
Um, so this is the first time that I'm actually faced with a um, with a real um, risk to my life because I've got breast cancer that has metastasized into my bones. So as you know, stage four cancer is much more serious. And had I been able to catch it earlier, this wouldn't have happened. And the other thing is that because my family has a history for all since I'm 40, I've been going for mammograms all my life. And um, the mammogram in September 2021 was done and the radiologist did not pick up that I had the tumors. So the, the other thing I want to teach every single woman in this world is to read a mammogram result. I did not know that when the radiologist says it, they have this measurement called braid. Braid is measured one to six. If it says braid three, it means the radiologist doesn't know what he's looking at. If it says braid well. four, five, or six, it means that there's a huge chance that you've got breast cancer. If you've got a braid one or two, it means you have nothing. So I had a braid three and the radiologist said, oh, I'm not sure. Well, he didn't say I'm not sure. He said, it's not clear what you got, come back in six months. I came back six months later with metastasis breast cancer. So the other thing I didn't know is that mammograms are not accurate. They don't give a, a very good picture of what's going on. My breast cancer is not even able to be uh, confirmed through touching. You can touch it, my breast, you will not feel the tumor at all. There's no sign at all. If you have an ultrasound, you won't find the tumor. And mm. therefore, what I also didn't know, which I want women to know, is that when the radiologist is not sure, don't let him wait for six months. Demand an MRI of the breast. MRI of the breast are absolutely accurate. The MRI shows exactly where my tumors are. So what I'm saying is that um, I was subjected to incredible amount of negligence, not only by the radiologist, but I also blame my gynecologist because when he saw the braid three, he should have said, this is not good enough. And only my oncologist, when I had to eventually see our oncologist, was able to say, Monica, he didn't know what he was seeing. That's why he called it braid three. And on top of that, he, my oncologist says, we can see very clearly the tumor. This guy didn't know what he was doing. So we are in the hands of professionals. We trust them, but they throw us under the bus because they're not always very informed. And therefore, I believe that we, as women, should take control of our own bodies and learn more how to read these results to challenge the medical professions when they are being negligent. Because I, you know, I don't believe in suing anybody because that's bad energy, but I now believe in teaching other women what to look for. Um, you know, as I said, the gene test, the, the reading of the mammogram, the knowing that an MRI of the breast is more accurate, not trusting everything you hear because there is very good chance that you will be subjected to negligence. Okay, so here comes, the, I think, the, the terrible story. I had no symptoms. I was absolutely healthy, absolutely. You know, like, you don't understand. I'm like diamond in vitality. You know, I train, I walk, I eat healthy. All the points of vitality I've got for years and years and years. No symptoms, nothing. So what happens last year in, in March, I was in the pool and I fell, you know, my leg, you know, the, the Lilo, whatever, I fell. So I heard a crack in my pelvis. I heard it, it went crack. I thought, oh my God, maybe I, um, you know, broke a ligament or something like that. So 
I lay in bed for a week in incredible pain. The doctor says, no, it's nothing wrong. Just lay in bed, it's gonna go. So then the pain increased. So I went to the doctor again. I said, doctor, this is not working. Something's major wrong here. So he says, okay, let's go for an X-ray of your pelvis. When I went for the X-ray, the X-ray was a horror story. My whole pelvis had been taken over by this tumor. It was mm -hmm. the, the X-ray of a tumor, bone tumor becomes transparent. The bone is not there. The, the cancer eats the calcium. So the, the X-ray looks like a transparent bone. So mm -hmm. in that accident, the tumor bone that had already been weakened broke. So imagine the pain I was going through, okay? So now immediately the, the, um, the doctor says, let's do a um, biopsy. They did the biopsy and they found that the tumor was not a um, bone tumor. It had breast cancer cells. So that's when they realized, my God, she's got breast cancer that now has metastasized into the bones. So then I had a complete MRI and complete CT scan of my bones, no, sorry, of my whole body to make sure that the cancer had not spread anywhere else. And thanks God, it only spread to the bone. So I had a seven centimeter tumor in my pelvis. I had several tumors in, the, in different parts of the body you know, in several uh, vertebrates, in several uh, ribs. So it's really contained in the bones, thanks God. So what happened was that then immediately I had to have a massive operation to take the tumor out of the pelvis. So they had to reconstruct the pelvis. This doctor, Dr. Hilton, unbelievable doctor in Cape Town. Imagine he took the tumor out, reconstructed the whole pelvis, gave me a new hip, and then I had radiation to make sure that all the bad cells had been taken out. And then I had to learn how to walk, blah, blah, blah. When I was strong enough, then I had to start chemo. So, so that's the journey. And, the, and then my, my cancer, you know, there are several different cancers for breast. My cancer is called estrogen positive, HER positive, H-E-R positive. That means my cancer will never get healed. I will always have this cancer in the body. So the chemo, the only thing that it does for the rest of my life is preventing the estrogen from spreading because the, this cancer thrives on estrogen. So what it does is that it prevents the estrogen and therefore I will forever until I die have to go and have chemo every three weeks, um, which is very traumatic because there are side effects and blah, blah, blah. So I had to get adapted to incorporate it to living with cancer means that I'm going to have cancer for the rest of my life. I just have to contain it as best as I can to prevent it from spreading because it could spread anywhere in the organs. It could spread even further in the bones. So, um, yeah, so so that's where I am at the moment. But I had no symptoms. I was I so so, you know, they say that a uh, cancer for um for the ovaries, it's a silent killer because by the time you find out you've got cancer, it's, it's taken over your body. Imagine if I had not fallen, I would have never mm. known and this cancer would have spread because they also have an, a way to measure the, the, um, the speed that the cancer uh, spreads in the body. And my cancer spreads very quickly. So, um, so if I had not fallen, I would have been dead, I'm sure, because I would have had you know, tumors everywhere in the body. So, so yeah, so that's the story. No signs, nothing. It so, was, so, so would, yeah. sorry, so would you say that it's your primary source is breast cancer? Is, are you diagnosed correct. as breast cancer with that's metastatic, 
ovarian and bone is that correct no no ovarian no ovarian, I have no ovarian my ovaries, just... my ovaries oh, have been okay. taken out to prevent it going to the ovaries just talk to us a little bit about so you fall and yeah. uh, terrible but thank god because at least it, yeah. it got picked up yeah um just talk us through the emotion of i mean it, it it sounds as though you've been through quite a traumatic experience through the the discovery process so yeah. just talk us through what was it like when you found out what was going through because we, we often skip over that part straight into treatment and focusing on what we're going to do but we forget about what was that whole feeling of what it was like and you know knowing what you knowing that you have to now be in the situation where you're taking chemo for the rest of your life just talk us through a little bit of that well it's horrific what can i tell you it's horrific because um sure yeah so it's terrible you know yeah so it's terrible i don't know how, how to explain it first of all it feels like a prison you know because i'm someone that loves traveling and going on adventures and you know my life is like you know has always been freedom you know so in a way this feels like a prison even though the doctor says it's not a prison because you can have this treatment anywhere in the world but who wants to go to a strange hospital to have chemo you know it's beautiful to be able to go to the chemo that i got go here in cape town the people are beautiful i feel at home you know they treat me like family you know so I cannot be the thought of thinking that I would do chemo in a, in a hospital that is not Cape Town, where I live. And therefore, what I have now done, because I love traveling, is that I, I go on my trips on uh, for two weeks. Because the week of chemo, I don't feel 100%. So because mm -hmm. it's every three weeks, then so now I measure my life in two weeks period. So for two weeks, I've got health. One week, I don't. So. Um, it's very hard, you know, and the one thing that I've done, which, you know, I think is working for me, which is I changed my whole life. You know, I've spoken to many cancer patients and they carry on their lives as if nothing's happened. Mm. I, I don't believe in that. I believe that this is happening for a purpose and there's something that I have to learn, something I have to heal. So I went, I started therapy, I started meditation groups, I started prayer groups. Um, so I'm very much trying to understand what is it that I haven't dealt emotionally in my life, you know, that, that this happened, you know, that I, that I couldn't control it. You know, I'm a control freak. And imagine that I could not have, even though I did mammograms and blah, 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 even though I tasted my breast all the time, I still couldn't have picked up that I had cancer. Do you understand? It came out of the blue. So it taught me that you cannot control anything and you have to surrender to whatever comes, you know? And then, you, you know, I, I always had this saying in life, when life throws me lemons, I make lemonade. So now mm. that's why I reach out to you to say, please let's share this story with other people so that they can prevent this. What happened to me is still preventable. You know, look, I saved the life of my cousin. She had her breast removed and her ovaries removed to prevent. Because, you know, she had the, the BRCA positive. So I know that more women will go and test the genes. It's very inexpensive. It's a thousand five hundred rand for a, for a gene test. It's worth mm -hmm. it. You know, Belinda, uh, many years ago, I had a breast reduction. If I had known that I had BRCA, I would have taken the breast out instead of reducing them. Do you understand? 
this could have been prevented. And that's where I felt of approaching you to tell you my story so that other women would not have to go through this horrific thing. Because once you take the breast and the ovaries, then the risk is gone. And as we know, if you catch breast tumors in time before it goes to stage four, then you don't have a death sentence like I've got because in reality, the, the tumors, you know, are going, will, uh, might multiply, you know, and, you know, we, we test every six months to make sure that they don't go anywhere else. But every six months you're under the fear that this thing could come back or, or multiply in other areas, you know. And I've got two friends going through exactly my same breast cancer and they're both in their 40s. And they didn't have mammograms because they were too young for mammograms. And they didn't even have a family history of breast cancer. So that also is horrific. Imagine. So this story that you only start mammograms and testing at, after 40, maybe that's also not true. Because we know that there are many girls, young girls, that are having breast cancer. Um, and they also are stage four. Um, so maybe this should be a, something more standard for all the girls to uh, to look at uh, this possible risk. So, so Monica, I mean, you sound incredibly brave, and and I think I really do understand and relate. You question, you know, it it does change your entire life for the rest of your life, yeah. um, and hence why I started living with cancer because even once you've been diagnosed, you live with it forever. Yeah. Um, some people are, are very fortunate that they never have to, they don't have to continue treatment, um, right. whereas yourself, you do. It also sounds as though you have this incredible will to spread the word of prevention and knowledge, which, which will make a difference. And I love the fact that you are owning your own journey and questioning what you get told and that's where I think you and I relate because that was pretty much what I did with my story is I own, I own my own, my own story, my own, what I do, the knowledge, I own my own diagnosis. Yeah. I think what you've said is really powerful and I love the fact that we can share this. Um, and I'm really, I'm really sorry that, you know, you, you're going through this journey, but what I also hear is uh, I hear a sad Monica, but someone that's still living life. Um, yeah. which is really, really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so if you could replay this journey, um, what, where would you have started? What would you have done differently? So let's backtrack, um, you know, a couple of years just and relay the steps. So f first of all, you also spoke about stress and we know that cancer and stress are, are very related. So, so kind of go back and say, if you could do things differently how would you do that yeah so I, a, excellent question because i said to the oncologist how could it be that all my life i ate healthy i exercise blah 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 all the things you know i sleep well i am a happy human i don't have any emotional issues blah 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 no? and my cousin that she's also BRCA positive she eats horrible she drinks like a trooper whatever whatever okay crazy. She smokes, whatever. And he asked me one question. She, he said, how much stress have you had in your life? And I said, well, I had a terrible life of stress. Terrible. Uh, because I come from a very, very dysfunctional family. I ran away from home. I came to South Africa. I had to start again. I had to build my life 
uh, uh, I studied to be a chartered accountant. I had to then um, uh, bring up the family. I got divorced. I raised the kids on my own, blah, blah, blah. So that that's fine. But then I chose a career. I built a company, very successful company. But that company's stress of building that company nearly killed me. Okay, so the truth be told is that I kept on always saying, I said these words, Belinda, I said, even if it kills me, I will succeed in building this company. That was my motto. I said, it, even if it kills me, I will do this. So mm -hmm. do you understand that it's like I made a pact with whoever, you call it the devil or whoever, to say, I want to succeed and I will do whatever it takes. So in the process, the stress nearly killed me. So that's the bottom line. People think it's about eating healthy. It's not eating healthy. It's not about not drinking. Yes, there are data that says too much drinking can produce breast cancer. Yes, okay. You know, um, but a glass of wine is not going to kill you. You know, it's all rubbish. The truth is, how much stress have you got in your life? And my life was one stress after another. You know, it was a hard life. And when I had the, the brain tumors, I should have heard the story of Monica having a brain tumor. You know that I, they operated my brain. Six weeks later, I was back at work. Really? Belinda, mm. the day before mm. I went for the brain operation, I was still at work. Do you understand the obsession of my mm. workaholism mm. to try to succeed? And yes, I achieved professionally, financially, every single thing that I wanted. And thanks God, because now I can, you know, spend the money that I have to try to heal me. But isn't that ridiculous? You work your whole mm. life, you know, and then you spend to make money and then you spend your whole life, your whole money just to survive whatever time you've got left. That, how many of us are doing that? So, so your message is actually about stress kills. Yes. And and if you could redo your life, you would have looked at other ways to control your stress because, yes. Yes. you know, yes. I, and I think that's very, very powerful. All the people, all the cancer warriors that I've ever spoken to, we yes. always talk about what trauma have you gone through or what stress have you gone through yeah. that ignited the cancer in you? Because I think, yeah. I think that's so, so valuable. So, so, and then that, and then, and then the whole process of there being cancer in your family, a history yeah. of cancer in your family. Yeah. So it's again, another awareness. So, yeah. so two very powerful messages. Yeah. So, so, so Monica, where are you now in your treatment? So you, 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 you spoke about you being diagnosed um, last year and um, and then, so you said, I think you said it was March. Yeah. And so how many, how many treatments have you got? Where are you in your journey? Okay. So I stopped counting how many treatments because it's every three weeks. So it's part of my life. I, I don't know how many weeks I've been, but um, the other thing that was an incredible story, this is also a very important story for women to hear this, please. When mm. I started the chemo, the first chemo my oncologist gave me is called Paxitaxel. This chemo nearly killed me, literally. My body reacted, not only that I lost my hair, my nails, I developed this uh, source in my mouth, diarrhea, nausea. Literally, I just wanted to die, okay? Mm. 
So I went to the oncologist, which is an amazing doctor, Dr. Ratz. And I said, listen, doctor, I do not believe in a chemo that is going to kill me in order to save me. Because you hear many stories of people that carried on with chemo until they died with the chemo. I said, mm. I'd rather have whatever time God left with no chemo and quality of life. Because without the chemo, I'm feeling fine. Remember, I don't have any side effects, nothing. I feel nothing. It's the chemo that is killing me. And this doctor, who's a magician, really, he looked at me. He says, I fully agree with you. I'm not going to kill you. So I'm going to change the chemo and I'm going to try to see how you react. So thanks God, now I'm on Pajita, Pajita and Herceptin and these two chemos, which are not really chemos, they're called more biological chemos. These things are, they have a side effect on me, but it's nothing, nothing in comparison. For example, my hair is growing back. I really get nausea, but only a couple of days. I don't get any more of the sores. I really get diarrhea, but with a little bit of anemodium, I can manage. So do you understand that life has completely been able mm. to restore my ability to have quality of life to the extent that I, I, I started traveling? My kids live overseas, so I can go and see them. I can, I can have quality of life. I, I am working, but not like a lunatic. Um, uh, so, so what I'm trying to say is that it's a choice. I chose not to have the crazy chemo that was killing me. I said, I'm not going to do this to myself. So thanks God, this other chemo, it's working and I still have quality of life. So that's where I am. And the good news is that in September and in January this year, I had the MRI and, and the report came. All areas have healed and there's nothing new. So all my tumors, remember the big tumor in the, in the pelvis and the hip got removed, but the other ones are healing and the tumor in the breast is reducing. So that means the chemo is doing its job. So, so and I'm doing germ, I'm, I'm, I'm having a normal life, you know? I'm, yeah, so it's only traumatic the days I have for chemo. Monica, the other important lesson here, I think what I'm hearing is yes. the mere fact that it's okay to, to question and partner with your medical team, ask mm. them, don't mm. be afraid to, to double check. And it's pretty much what I did with mine is when I didn't feel something was working, I would actually question and have a conversation and yes. debate, yes. debate with my doctor. What is the yes. best course of, course of action? Because you know your boss body better than anybody else. Right? Yes. 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 And, and Linda, just for the record, he says to me, I don't have many patients that are so sensitive like you. So that proves we all different. Mm -mm. So you need to verbalize mm. how you feeling, what's happening so that your oncologist listen. And then if you're with an oncologist that doesn't um, have a heart, change oncologist. You know, this mm. doctor of mine, he's such an amazing human that, I, you know, because I research now and I ask questions, I write to him emails you know, let's say at 10 o'clock at night, he replies immediately. Mm -hmm. He replies mm -hmm. weekends, wherever he replies. That's all you want. You want someone that cares, you know? Um, and I, I think, again, it's, it's really about taking ownership, but yes. also finding a team and a process. You spoke about, you spoke about, because it's a holistic view, right? You yes. spoke about eating 
you're eating healthy, you spoke about yes. exercising, you spoke about yes. living still. Yes. So, yes. so you've embraced this. Yes. Um, it doesn't sound like an easy journey, but I think you, you've been brave enough to embrace this. Yes, yes. And, so, and also the other thing I've done, which I really think it's helped me a lot, I'm working with a nutritional doctor, Heidi Duplessis. She has given me incredible a number of vitamins, you know, but these vitamins have completely changed my ability to cope with chemo. So before I would have three or four days of real health. Now I have reduced this to one or two days of health. And I even now have started only once. So it's still under testing. After my chemo, I go to another doctor and he does an infusion. It's called sulfur, sulfur, something like that. And this infusion, even though at the time that they put in it into your veins, it feels like hell because you want to vomit. Then what happens is after you go through that side effect of one or two hours, I did not have any major side effects the following day after my chemo. So I'm testing this procedure, which my oncologist has approved. That's the other thing you have to do. Everything you do, because a lot of people will go to alternative methods, please consult with the oncologist to make sure that is not in conflict with what he's giving you. Like, for mm. example, there are theories that high levels of vitamin C is good for you. Well, my oncologist doesn't agree with this. So I follow my oncologist number one, but at the same time, I have tried alternative treatments to supplement what is being put into my body because chemo is chemo. You know, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you know it's a little bit poisonous. So you need to... Uh, completely support your body. The other thing I'm doing is, you know, I drink this uh, smoothie that I prepare every morning that is very nutritional, very nutritional. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I started losing weight. I, because I give you an example. I asked my oncologist, I don't understand how people die from cancer because I feel 100%. How am I going to die? He says, you're going to stop eating. And nobody told me this. So when I started losing weight for no reason, I thought, Oh my God, he warned me about this. So now when I eat, I only eat, I, I'm not, you know, I eat meat, I eat everything, but I eat, everything that I eat has got a very mindful attitude to make sure that it has huge nutrition. You know, that I'm going to eat the, the best vegetables, the best fruit, the best uh, yogurt without lactose, blah, 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 no sugar, etc., etc. The eating is absolutely a religion that you have to, love your body so much that you're going to give it the nutrition that it requires because the cancer eats the nutrition in your body and you need to feed it with more nutrition. i give you an example. I, when I heard I had cancer, I stopped eating meat because I thought, oh no, they say meat is bad for you without consulting my oncologist. My hemoglobin and my iron disappeared from my body. My doctor says, what the hell are you doing? Please go back to eating meat. Just make sure it hasn't got hormones. You no, know, by organic meat and thanks god i went back to meat because now i'm feeling incredibly well but do you understand that there's a lot of literature that is very confusing and mm, the main mm. thing is that because i got for blood tests every you know three to six weeks then i can read what's happening with my blood my blood if you look at my blood test today belinda they look like i'm a teenager i don't even wow. have a cancer marker nothing my bloods are Incredible, you know, better than before because of the respect 
that I have now for my body's nutritional needs. Um, and I monitor them. And I have this doctor, Heidi Duplessis, as I said, that she monitors the, the intake of these vitamins that are very specialized um, in, in terms of what uh, I'm allowed to, to, to put into my body. So that's also a very important advice for everybody. So, so Monica, again, um, I mean, or again, the, the, the sheer ownership that you've taken of your journey and your health and your body. So let's just talk about um, from a stress management perspective, what are you doing that's different to what you used to do prior to your diagnosis from a stress perspective? Okay, very important. That is number one. Number one, I don't know how to explain. It's like I become allergic to stress, okay? So first of all, I don't want to talk about anything negative. I don't want to be surrounded by anybody that has bad energy, you know? And I don't watch movies that are stressful. I wake up and I, it takes me two hours in the mornings to, to be normal. What does it mean? Uh, because I'm also taking these tablets that are horm hormonal reducing tablets, what they do is that they they did, they make me sweat. You know, the sweats, they, the, it's like having menopause in steroids, what it mm -hmm. does to you. So what happens is in the morning, my body is completely depleted. So it really takes me two hours to eliminate the brain fog. Okay, so very slowly, I wake up, I, I meditate, I pray, I, I immediately do the smoothie, I drink my smoothie looking at the ocean, in peace and quiet, you know, um, and then only I start. So if I wake up, let's say six in the morning, by only by nine o'clock, really, I'm fully functional, you know, then I go for a walk. Okay, then, you know, um, um, I, so I exercise, I do uh, my private trainer or I'll go for a walk, then, um, then I work, but I'm working, you know, not hectic, I work when I can, and I choose the projects that I'm going to work with, uh, on. Uh, so thanks God, I don't have to do an eight to nine, uh, eight to five job. You know, I can choose. So thanks God that I'm at stage in my life that I, my kids are all adults. They all, you know, have their own families. I don't have to look after anybody but myself. And my husband looks after me. You know, I've got great support from him. Um, so, so yes, thanks God, this cancer came at a time in my life that. I can retire if I want to. I work because I love my job, but it's not that it's my job that is driving my life like it used to. And what else I do? So yes, really, meditation, exercise. I go to bed at nine o'clock every night. I make sure I sleep at least nine hours. Um, I have very good sleep. You know, at the beginning, I couldn't sleep very well because I had so many, so much pain. You know, with all the operations. Uh, so I was, uh, for a while, I was taking CBD oil for helping me to, with the pain. Now I don't even need this. I don't have any pain, thanks God. Um, so, so, uh, so, yeah, so anything to do with management of stress is absolutely a religion for me and nutrition, those two things. And surround yourself with people that truly love you. A lot of your friends are going to run away and never find you back because they cannot cope. With your, with your current reality. So the ones that love you will phone you every day. I've got friends that phone me every day. So I make time to talk to them every day. So before I used to say, guys, I'm too busy to talk to you. I'll talk to you on the weekend. Now I make sure that I respect and I honor the fact that they care and they phone me and they want to know how I am. And it's such a beautiful experience. You know, my kids phone me every day. 
Before they used to ignore me for a while. <laughs> so now, you know, they want to know how mom is every day, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that, and, and then the other thing that I'm doing, very important, Belinda, I don't know if you heard about Joe Dispenza. Yes. Um, okay, so I am now part of the Joe Dispenza uh, methodology, and, and I'm trying my very best, you know, to believe that I can heal myself. So in a nutshell, you know, if someone gave me a checklist of all the things that everybody has done to, to survive cancer, I have the checklist and I'm going through it. So I always say to the kids, when I die, nobody will ever say that I didn't try, you know? In the same way, I put my soul into building a, a business that was successful. I'm now reverting back to me for the first time in my entire life to say, how do I, how do I put that energy into me? I never did this in my entire life. I always said the, the kids came first, the business came second, and I was never in the movie, ever ever in the movie. I was in a non-event. You know, I'll give you a, sto a quick story how bad I was. Um, many years ago, I had Bell's palsy, which is a sickness which is very simple. What happens is you get an ear infection. The ear infection presses on the nerve in your face and it paralyzes your face. But if you catch it on time, with cortisone, you prevent the, the paralysis. I was so busy working that eventually my eye wouldn't open. And I went to the doctor holding my eyelid with my finger. And the doctor started laughing. And I said, why are you laughing? And he says, because I have never seen someone with such advanced case of Bell's palsy like you. He says, why did you not come and see me earlier? And I said, doctor, I was too busy working. It took me six months of physiotherapy to recover the use of my muscles in my face. Who does that? Do you understand the neglect that I gave myself all through my life is the consequence, in my humble opinion, as to where I am in my journey. So now I'm saying it's enough. Now it's my turn. So, so what I'm hearing, Monica, is your body's been trying to tell you for quite some time now mm. to slow down. Mm. <laughs> and you finally got the message. So, so well done on that. The finally. other thing that I'm... <laughs> Oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is you spoke about, you told your children, you know, no one says I, I'm, I'm not trying. So you certainly have the tenacity and the sheer will to survive, but let's just talk a little bit about that survival. Mm. How do you feel about that? Um, you, you, you have stage four cancer, you on chemo permanently, how do you feel about your mortality and and where you're going and and just from an emotional perspective? Because these are subjects that we our friends don't want to talk to us about. Our family looks us looked us look at us and then they see fear. Um, but to be able to be brave and vulnerable, share a little bit about how you what are your thoughts? So I'm not scared of dying because I believe I have a very strong spiritual belief. You know, I believe in reincarnation. I, I, you know, I've studied Buddhism. I study many religions. So for me, death is not an issue. My issue is living without quality of life. You know, that's why I signed a living will. And a living will says that if you are ever put into a machine that is, you know, um, you know, the, um, you know, support that is supporting your your body. I said, you need to unplug me because I don't want to live with a machine supporting me. So mm -hmm. as long as I have quality of life, that is my fear, not having quality of life. 
So, um, so that's why I'm doing everything in my power to keep myself healthy, mentally, physically, emotionally, so that I can have a complete, um, beautiful life, even though I've got cancer, not let the cancer prevent me from having quality of life. And, and, in, and just remember, this, my whole life, I have been a real warrior, my whole life. You know, if I tell you my story, you won't believe the things I've been through. And, and I always succeeded in winning the battles. So I see this cancer as another uh, challenge that life has given me to, to once again go to war, if that's the right word. Um, no, I don't know if it's to war, but it's more to, to you know, you know uh, one of the principles of Jyoti Spencer is to say, in this lifetime, I want to be enlightened. What does it mean to be enlightened? Did I go in, inside of my issues that I went through? Remember, I had a terrible childhood. Did I go through that childhood with forgiveness, with healing all the issues that happened? Did I forgive? Did I forgive myself? Because a lot of the neglect that I did to myself is because my parents abandoned me. So then as an adult, I abandoned me. So now for the first time, I'm saying to me, I'm not going to abandon you ever again. I'm not going to make the same mistake my parents did to me. I'm going to, for the first time, truly love me and not abandon me because abandoning means that I haven't healed what I came to learn. And I came to learn about unconditional love, which I didn't get from my parents. And therefore I didn't know how to love unconditionally. So now I had to apply these new uh, techniques by having to, through therapy and many other techniques, to start connecting with my heart not my brain, because I, I'm a professional, so I'm very intellectual. Intellectual people don't connect to the heart. So I had to now stop the intellectual part of me and connect to my real heart and stop being so ruthless in trying to achieve goals and be more at peace with this emotional reality that is with me. And whatever time I've got, I just want to ensure that I've got enough quality of life to enjoy um, you know, but not, you know, I'm not a voyager. So for me, life is not about enjoyment. For me, life is about teaching. I'm a teacher. I'm a professor at university. I love teaching. And I want to tell the world what happened to me so that no, nobody else will have to go through what I went through if it can be avoided. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. You, you, you absolutely did. So you haven't shared what you do for a living. So that'd be lovely if you do that. Um, and then I, I have another question around, um, and I'll, I'll give you both questions now. When it came to your diagnosis and your family, how did your children react? How did you manage that? What were some of the, the measures that you put in place? Because obviously everyone's concerned about you. Yeah, um, very good question. The good thing that I did all my life is that because I raised my kids on my own, remember I, my family's in another country. I'm originally from Uruguay, so I emigrated to South Africa. So the children didn't have the extended family support. And because I eventually had to raise them on my own, I'd raise them to assume that I could die every day, okay? That means these kids were raised absolutely resilient. They are so tough, you know? I'll give you one example. We were faced in Johannesburg with a home invasion. We were attacked. We were terribly abused, etc. We, I was completely traumatized after that event. 
these children, the next day that it happened, they got dressed and they went to school. And I said, where do you think you're going? And they turned around and I said, we're not going to give power to any of the people that did this to us. Life carries on. These, were, these are my children. So when this happened, they are so resilient. Yes, of course, they are absolutely um, obsessed, you know, that I shouldn't die because, you know, we have a very strong relationship. But they're going to be fine. You know, they don't need me. They, you know, when I say that to my kids, they said, Mom, yes, of course we need you. But I'm convinced they don't, you know, because they're the strong people, you know. And, and I'm, I'm very happy that I raised them tough and that they can cope without me, you know. So, so there's no, like, this is not a drama, you know. We don't cry and we don't, you know. We, we, we celebrate, you know, every day the fact that I, they love it when I phone them and I'm walking by the beach, you know. And that they can see me strong, and you know, and when I'm weak, they keep they're there for me, you know. They when I had all the operations, they were here. They came from overseas. They looked after me. They're incredible kids. So so, and and yeah, and we talk about it, you know. So yeah, so I don't know if that makes any sense. You, uh, yeah. you absolutely have. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And you still haven't shared what you do for a living. Oh, okay. So it's very complicated what I do. Um, so I, how do I explain? First, the company that I created, that I told you that you nearly killed me, it's a company that does the electronic settlement of all the transactions on the stock exchange in South Africa. So I created that company 25 years ago. At that time, South Africa was very inefficient in, in the stock markets, and I converted everything digital, created the company, ran it for 20 years. And then five years ago, I discovered uh, what is called cryptocurrencies. And in the cryptocurrency technology, it's called blockchain. And this technology is going to revolutionize the world of finance. And because I'm a chartered accountant, I realized that the world will change. So I joined Consensus, which is a company that has the technology for uh, changing the world in terms of um, blockchain. And, and I work remotely from Cape Town, and my job is to be an advocate and an educational uh, person in teaching the world about this technology. And I'm a professor, a UJ, a professor of practice on blockchain, teaching the world about the technology. So as you can see, I'm absolutely passionate about helping others in waking up, especially women and, and, and I believe in financial inclusion. So I believe that this technology will achieve empowering humans in managing their own finances without having to depend on others and intermediaries and people that, you know, uh, abuse them. And I know this uh, will be a, a, an incredible revolution that people will have their own money without having to need others to look after them. Wow. You are certainly um, a lady with many, many, many talents. <laughs> um, I, would, I would like to just ask you one more question before we, before we wrap up. So you've spoken about it's so important to get the message out. Mm. Could, could I ask you to share your words of wisdom, um, maybe five or six points that you, someone that's just um, been diagnosed or someone that has a possibility of, um, you know, of having a cancer, if they've got a family history of it, what, what are the, your words of wisdom that you could, we could leave behind kind of in summary about what we've spoken about today? 
Okay, so the most important message, Melinda, really, I feel so strongly about this, is that don't go into denial. Confront the truth. I give you an example. I gave the option of certain family members to have the gene test done, and they don't want to have the gene test done. My cousin was brave. She had the gene test done, she was positive, and she had everything removed. Why? Because if it goes to stage four, you are just doomed. So if you can prevent this, why not do the gene test and remove the breast and the ovaries and prevent this from happening to you? So it's better to confront reality. And once you are diagnosed, don't, you can't carry on your life as it was before. You need to change. Did you see in my talk how many things have changed? I've changed. I'm a complete different human than I was a year ago. So in reality, my cancer, it was a gift to teach me to go back into history, to heal emotionally all the things that I was sweeping under the carpet because I was too busy to worry about the fact that I was abused in my childhood. So now that I'm confronting everything, you know, it's a new life. I am... You know, every time, every day, it's a gift. When I eat, I enjoy my food. When I go for a walk, it's a gift. I'm constantly in gratitude. I'm saying thank you every second that I live because now I don't know how long it's going to last. And remember that when I go to chemo, like tomorrow is my chemo day, I know I'm going to feel terrible for a couple of days. So oh, today, trust me, I'm enjoying everything because tomorrow is a bad day. So life is not any more certain. And therefore, because we know of these changes, the yin and yang, the positive and the negative, I can enjoy life much more to the fullest. I'm not anymore the, the hamster in the wheel living my life in automatic. Nothing is automatic, every, anything. Everything is conscience. Um, and I'm saying to everybody, please don't live your life as if nothing has changed, everything's changed. Please do prevention. Please question the doctors. Please go and find a doctor that cares and you can feel that you can trust. Ask questions. Yes, Google Docs. Yes, why not? And and share and, and talk about it. Like what you're doing, Belinda, is unbelievable. Do you know, I have to tell you, Belinda, that when I sent out my email to many organizations, the Cancer Association, to Discovery, to everybody that I could think of to say, this happened to me, this could have been prevented. You're the only one that came back and said, let's talk about it. Nobody else came back. I spoke to Discovery to say, have you told me about the gene test or had you told me about the BRCA and the braid of the mammogram, you would have prevented me being your risk for the rest of my life. What are you doing about this to tell women about this? They told me they're going to do nothing, nothing, because their only concern is to encourage women to have mammograms. But I just explained that mammograms are not accurate. So not even discovery cares about teaching people about this. So what I'm saying is, what is going on? Are we so disposable as women that society doesn't care about trying to prevent this? And then the other thing I haven't told you, Belinda, the other story is the other incredible, terrible thing is the MRI for the breast, that bed where you put your body on top of a, a, a cage, a metal cage 
that hurts the, your di diapra diaphragm. I said to them, why are you hurting women in this way? I spoken to a woman that had MRI of the breast and I said, yes, it was super painful. And I said, and why are they not changing the cage so that the cage doesn't hurt the body when you're lying there for an hour in an MRI with an intravenous iodine, whatever, Nobody cares because the bed was designed by a man engineer that has never sat in that stupid bed. Do you understand that it feels like we as women are disposable because nobody cares. So that's why we need to take our power back to start saying it's enough. Let's ask questions and let's complain until this can be prevented. Monica, I think it's people like you that inspire me to do what I'm doing. So thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, you've given us so much insight and information and encouragement. And I'm so glad that we can share your story. Thank you for being brave and thank you for being vulnerable. Um, I think you, you've, got, you've, you've received your calling and I think you know why you were diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's wonderful to hear that you are so positive and I think please continue to be an inspiration for so many out there. Thank you. Um, and thank, and thank you, you for, for your, thank you for your time. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you. Living with Cancer podcast series. This is episode 23. Good morning. <laughs> Today we have Dr. Masvita Mishengeti, who's head of the Department of the National Cancer Registry. Welcome, Masvita. 